Welcome to the Concerto podcast series. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Justin King and I'm joined today by Russ Spargo, an associate at Concerto. Russ is a people person, having worked predominantly as a consultant for the last 25 years. Initially, he worked in HR within the big four HR consulting firms before leaving to become independent in 2004. He first worked with founding partner Matthew Symes at PwC back in 1999 as part of the team that created Post Office Property Holdings. Before becoming a consultant way back in 1992, Ross was an Operation Rally venturer and amongst many expeditions went to Borneo to live in the rainforest with a merry band of scientists and as he puts it, he was the manpower for their research. He has a particular love of Southeast Asia, having travelled there pre-university He recalls that going into Beijing in 1986 was an extraordinary experience and travelling with his future wife, which he had no idea was his wife going to be his wife at the time, he thought that they'd enter the dark ages. Meeting a UK medical student who had done some elective in a city north of Korea, he was glad to be back in civilization. Close to home, Russ loves to walk in the mountains and a few years ago completed the 15 peaks in Snowdonia, which of those of you who aren't familiar with it is 32 miles. 28,000 feet of ascent and descent, all completed under 24 hours. Well, that makes me tired just saying it. <laughs> Russ, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Justin. So um, let's just drive straight in, Russ. Um, I want to talk to you about engagement. Uh, my first question to you, therefore, is why engagement? I mean, don't we all know that it's important to do? That is a very good question. And um Yes, I agree. To some extent, I think it's very uncontroversial. People recognise that good engagement is something that needs to be done. However, the question of how much is enough to do engagement well is a completely different question. And your answer to that, um, if you ask a group of people, you'll get very different answers. And those different answers will drive some very different results. And it's, it's often hard to get the balance right, you know, even with quite familiar sort of challenges like a new finance system or when you're co-locating people from different sites into a single flexible workspace. But we are now in this sort of COVID world or hopefully beginning to be post-COVID world and people are separated. They're confined at home. They're on the end of, um, or in front of a screen perpetually in this kind of Zoom-laden groundhog day. So in that context, how much engagement with your team is enough? It's a very good question to ask, but it's a really difficult one to know if you're getting it right. And in the work that we are doing around social value with clients, that sort of question about engagement takes on a very different sort of flavor. These, the question around social value is not, um, is not a clearly defined thing like a, a new finance database is. So what should we do? What is the problem we're trying to solve? What are the things we, the solutions to that? Um, Around those sorts of big, less defined questions, it's very hard to produce a well-defined answer, which is why there is a renewed emphasis on getting engagement right. And I think, judging by past experience, I think we at Concerto are actually very good at getting that right. And I know that's a bold claim. But I think if you take the words of Susan Scott in her book, Fierce Conversations, she puts it very nicely when she says that what gets talked about in any organization 
and how it gets talked about determines what will happen and what won't happen. And that's true for personal relationship team companies or even entire countries. So while leaders know that they do need to engage, how much is the is the difficult question to answer? Because very often too little engagement can feel like much too much. And I think we are very good at getting that balance right. Um, so why do I say that? Well, as an associate of Concerto over the years, we've been involved, or I've been involved in a number of programs which have been to turn around failing programs. And very often the reason that a program is failing is due to, effectively due to the planning. And there's budgetary pressures, and very often there are people with a very technical mindset and focus who quite simply, they're good at their stuff, but they're not so good at working out how much time should be planned in for engagement, transition, and change. So in those projects, our role has often been not just to reshape the program, but to reshape the entire engagement strategy, which also includes activity to embed the change. It's very possible to make good progress, but finish too early and lose what you're trying to change. So to to that end, I think there's one of the mantras that we live by is that with major change programs, you often have to slow down in order to speed up. And very often the temptation in any program, particularly if it's failing, is to do precisely the opposite. It's to press on, push harder. And I first saw this in a program um, in a government department. We were implementing a managed print service to around 500 sites around the UK. It was a massive program. The service provider that had initially been engaged had designed a very efficient, email-driven, no-visits-to-site engagement strategy. And the net effect of that was when they began to make contact with the sites, the sites became extremely worried that they were simply not going to be able to function they did not understand why they were uh, what looked like losing printers, whereas in fact the capacity to print was being substantially increased. And that particular project had hit um, a brick wall before anyone had set foot in site, on site in any one of those 500 sites. So we stepped in and the first thing we did was to work to engage the team that had come up with the plan. We created a different, a new engagement and change strategy and plan. And with about, within about 18 months, I think we had delivered something like 9,000 devices to all 500 sites. And for that supplier, that was the largest deployment of their devices anywhere in Europe up to that point in time. So going back to the overall aspect of this, i.e. the plan, isn't engagement just another task to build into the plan? Uh, uh, Well, yes and no. It's, of course, it's absolutely vital to, to create lines in the plan and whole sections of responsibility that relate to engagement, communication, listening to the client. You know, what you're trying to do is to build connection, you're to win hearts and minds, and to generate momentum so that the stakeholders are with you. So yes, it has to be planned in, but 
that alone is not sufficient. And again, I'm going to to pull on some of Susan Scott's words from Fierce Conversations. Really effective engagement is not just about talking to people so that you can sort of butter them up and push my predefined plan onto them. It's also got to uh, seek to to find what I'm uh, what Susan Scott calls the missing conversations. And missing conversations are a really interesting concept. The research actually shows that for all organizations or most organizations, the things that erupt suddenly and cause enormous damage are not the sort of complete surprise black swan type uh, events. They are much more of the, we knew about this. And I think the term has been coined is they're gray rhinos. So these the issues that blow up, they're not surprises they're known about, but they're not being talked about. And in project after project, one of the things I've had to do in engagement roles is to actually find a way of making discussable things that have people have tried to talk about, but for whatever reason, they have become undiscussable. And I'm going to go way back in history for a tragic example, which was the Challenger Space Shuttle that exploded about 90 seconds after takeoff back in 1986. And this is, I love this story because it makes the point so clearly. The space shuttle was the most complex vehicle in human history. And for that reason, it was very difficult. There was an awful lot going on simply to maintain a schedule of launches. And that schedule was actually behind. So for some weeks or months, one of the engineers in a supplier, which had designed a fuel delivery system, had been trying to raise a problem with the fuel delivery system. And he said that he could recreate a fuel leak under laboratory conditions, but he could not get anyone to take him seriously. This is all published uh, sort of, you know, by NASA. The night before the launch of that space shuttle, they actually convened an emergency meeting at the highest level. And this issue was talked about. And under intense pressure due to finances, the launch schedule was behind. There was political pressure um, from the politicians in terms of another delay was bad for them. And as a result of that, the collective decision from that meeting was that the leaky fuel system was put down, and I quote, it was relegated to being an acceptable flight risk. Apparently afterwards, there were several of the people who'd been in that meeting who went home and said to their loved ones that evening, that tomorrow we are going to kill Americans in space. Now, I'm not trying to knock NASA. It is a wonderful, world-class organization. They have literally, they are the only people who have put people on the moon. But if they can get this um, amongst the noise and complexity, where do I engage? What do I listen to? And how much is enough? If they can get that wrong, well, we're all at risk from doing that. We are doing more work with clients around the whole question of um, delivering social value. Obviously, the Social Value Act is now uh, becoming increasingly important for suppliers who are providing services to government departments. And the thing about the social value work is that very often um, the act itself is not prescriptive, it's not tightly defined, and that is deliberate to maximize uptake and make it easy for companies to do things that they can do 
with social, economic or environmental value for the locality. Now, that's good. But by the same token, it means that the Act does not clearly label all sorts of things. And therefore, it's not immediately clear what issues should we be dealing with, what sort of solutions should we come up with, how do we implement them, how do we measure them. And for that reason, to answer those questions, you have to have a vibrant dialogue with all of the relevant stakeholders. And that that is engagement, pure and simple. And it needs to be genuine engagement, not the, look, we talked to you, so come on, agree with my plan type of engagement. This is engagement that genuinely brings people together in a co-creative process because nobody, no one person, no one organization has the information or the knowledge to come up with the solution. It has to be a collective effort. And so the social value stuff, there are lofty aspirations. If we can deliver for our local communities at no extra cost to the taxpayer, social, environmental and economic benefits, that is clearly something much to be desired. Engagement is an absolutely central part of that. And for those who may be wary of this being too much and it could slow us down too much, um, I'll make a comparison. I think it was Ronald Reagan who first cut corporation tax. And to everyone's surprise, tax revenues, corporation tax revenues actually rose. I think with the challenges ahead of us that are complex, if we can get the engagement part right, we will slow down to speed up. And I think we might find that it is actually surprisingly good for our businesses and probably even for our health too. I think that's incredible, Russ, and thank you for that. Um, but I just want to pull out a couple of things uh, that you also, uh, there was also echoed by Anne-Marie on a previous podcast that we did. And that is that everyone plays a role in engagement, specifically the communication parts of that. And no one person has the solution, but also no one person should be ignored. And therefore, it's not only good to talk, but it's essentially imperative to talk and also listen. Yes, I think that's absolutely spot on. Russ, many, many thanks for your time today. I really appreciate it. And I also really look forward to delving into these topics in a little bit more detail in future podcasts. Um, so thank you very much indeed for your time and look forward to speaking to you very, very soon. Thanks, Justin. Likewise. Many thanks for listening to the Concerto podcast. Please keep an eye out for further podcasts. And if you want to get in touch with us, please do so through our website at concerto.uk.com. Many thanks.